Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing, man. And that's remarkable. For today's intro, Alex, I'd like to cede the floor to you because... I had a big, long story that I was going to tell, but now I'm going to wait until we actually talk about the Astros pitch tipping situation to tell that story. Because you, my friend, have said that you have something you want to talk about, which is much, much more pressing than the largest scandal in baseball since we've started this podcast. What is that thing? Bobby, I want to play a little game with you. Okay. Okay. This is turning into the Ringer MLB show. (laughs) (laughs) Is this... A Scott Boris quote. Oh, it really is turning into the Ringer MLB show. (laughs) (laughs) Is this a Scott Boris quote from three days ago when he was talking to the media? Uh Or did I pull this from Bill Walton back in the Chicago White Sox booth over the summer? Oh my God. Did you make this game? (laughs) Just just bear with me, okay? Uh, uh, I have three quotes that I want to read off to you. I just want you to tell me who you think it's from. okay? Okay. I never actually use my brain when people do these games with me. I try to use like game theory. <laughs> try to like, which right. one would he start with? And then which one would he follow with? And which one would he think that I would think that he would follow with? Yeah. Well, the thing is, what you didn't anticipate is that I'm also doing game theory. And so I knew that you were going to think about which one I would start with. So we're playing just, like just online poker through a podcast. Yeah. It's 12 dimensional chess right here. Okay. First quote If there were Major League Christmas, 30 stockings would clearly want a lump of coal. That's a Scott Boris quote. 100%. Yeah, totally. That one was easy. <laughs> that was easy. Uh, I started you off with a softball. He's talking about uh, he's talking about Garrett Cole here, obviously. And every every team should want a, a lump of Garrett Cole in their stocking. I know I, know I do. That right? was what he was meaning? I, I thought he <laughs> meant like... <laughs> I thought he meant like all 30 teams were like... <laughs> acting poorly and that they didn't actually try and be good boys all year yeah, you can read it either way you want so they're all getting a lump of coal <laughs> oh i either one fits honestly sure. scott all boris right. has way too much fucking power someone needs to check this dude he just says wild shit he also just has way too much time on his hands honestly yeah. um next quote the zoo is less fun when half the bears are asleep I've heard this quote cheating. It's also a Scott Boris quote. Also a Scott Boris <laughs> they quote. They said it yes. effectively well. They talked, they had a big conversation about <laughs> whether it is even less fun if half the bears are sleeping. Because if you still get to see half the bears, then you can move on to the lions. Who's not having fun? <laughs> <laughs> All right, final one. Old St. Nick delivers once a year, but young St. Nick delivers all season. Um, <laughs> I have also seen this one. <laughs> This is also Scott Boris. It's not fair. <laughs> Sorry for being online. Damn, I just spend all day scrolling Twitter. Uh, and he was talking about Nick Castellanos, right? That he was. And young St. Nick. Does he, young St. Nick deliver all year? He had. He was like kind of average last year. Yeah, yeah so, solid player. I would want a young St. Nick on my team over an 
an older St. Nick. I mean, that's for sure. Like He's he going to be older right by the time he, you're done the contract with him, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you've just totally shot his value uh, in his aging years, you know? Like everyone's going to be like, well, Scott Boris said that old St. Nick only delivers literally once a year, so why would we want to sign 36-year-old Nick Castellanos? Nick Castellanos was like the most clutch player in baseball last year, and so he had this whole thing where he like felt like the media hated him because they, we were all like, the trade deadline was slow. No team really tried to improve themselves that much besides the Astros getting cranky. And the whole time he was like, what about me? What about me? What about me? I went to the Cubs who fucking missed the playoffs. But I think I'm going to go down this lane. I was thinking about this in the car ride on the way here. How, how much would you hate me? Like, would this actually be an inhibition to our friendship if I became one of those fuck the haters people? You know, like those people who are like, no matter what they do in life, they're like so many people hated on me on my rise to the top. But like, I'm just a, like a middle class white kid who went to NYU and has had everything afforded to him. But what if I like constructed this narrative that was like, nobody thought I was going to succeed. Nobody thought I was going to become a podcast producer. What if I become that person? <laughs> I would only respect that if you leaned into it 100%, you know, like you have um, like t-shirts that you made on Zazzle that just have like the, the like 100 like fire Yo, emojis on them. You can't say brand them. names because they're not sponsoring us. Don't say the brand name until they sponsor the pod. <laughs> uh, just, uh, just, you gotta, you gotta throw emojis between every third word that you tweet uh, on Twitter. Just. Uh, you also have to capitalize the the first letter of every word that you tweet. Those are just the rules. You type like that now. Yeah, I become LeBron. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what we're describing. <laughs> now that we're six minutes into the podcast and we have not discussed any real baseball things, uh, let's get to the hardcore news of the week, which is the Astros' elaborate and illegal and electronic sign-stealing master plan. But before we get there, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Paisley. And this is, of course, very appropriate name this week, Tipping Pitches. So in seventh grade, I had a, my English teacher. He was like 28 or 29 or whatever. So he's like this young guy who's really into sports. And so something that he would do every year and just happened to have him for two straight years Something that he would do was he would pass out the March Madness bracket to each one of his classes. So he taught like five classes throughout the day or whatever. And as a class, you had to vote on who was going to win each game. And then the majority of what the class picked would advance in the bracket. And whichever class chose the best bracket won some like fucking, I don't know, like a pizza party or like two points of extra credit on the final exam or something that you're probably not allowed to give as a teacher, but he just decided to give as a teacher because there's no rules when you're in middle school in the mid-2000s. And, uh, like, obviously, not everyone in a middle school gifted English class knows that much about the March Madness bracket or knows as much as, like, me and, like, a couple of my other friends who were, like, on the basketball team, like, really into, insanely into March Madness, had spent, like, this whole time devising our, like, master brackets or whatever. So we would I'm vote. Sitting, I'm sitting here trying to figure out where the hell you are going with I'm bringing it home right here. It better, be, it better be a good payoff. So we're sitting there next to each other, me and my friend Matthew. 
And as he's reading off the teams, the matchups, to the people behind us and in front of us, we're kicking their desks once for the first team or twice for the second team. (laughs) So we're tipping them off for what teams to pick. So what I want to say is, it took the Astros, the smartest team in baseball, 12 years basically from when I already devised this master plan in seventh grade. The Astros... They're not as smart as everyone thinks they are, Alex. That's what I have to say. That's where I want to start this conversation. This is the dumbest fucking story. It's the dumbest, most elementary, easiest way to get caught I've ever seen for cheating. That's where I want to start with this conversation. So if if any of our listeners like have somehow just, you know, turned like tuned out of baseball news for like a week. Really easy to explain what happened. The the Astros just had a camera in center field at home games that was trained on the opposing catcher's hands, and so whenever they would throw down signs, that uh, that feed was communicated to someone in like a like a hallway, but behind the Astros home dugout, and someone was stationed next to a trash can and would bang on it whenever there was uh, an off speed pitch coming. This is back in 2017, and it took two years for anyone to be like, hey, this is really weird, but in all 81 games this year, why is there a bang before every single off pitch? It is stunning when you go back and look at the footage, when yes. you're just like, how the fuck did no one pick up on this before? I like. I don't actually know if they continued to do it into the 2018 and 19 season, because if you remember, the 2017 season was when the Red Sox got caught with the Apple Watch scheme, which I'm trying to even think back on that. And that really, that came and went, you know? Like they, there was no real like punishment that was doled out for that. Um, I'm sure there there was like fines and stuff like that, but it's not like the Red Sox got like anyone suspended or fired or anything like that. So I'm wondering like what makes this more of a flashpoint than that was? Is it just because like, it's the off season and we have all this time to talk about it or is there something more heinous going on here or did the Red Sox do a better job of lying about how much they were actually doing? Like I I don't, to me it feels like in part the, the difference is that like there was at least some human, like, like at least the players were maybe somewhat involved in the Red Sox aspect like like you use a camera to pick up what the signs are and then it's on the players to relay to each other what might be coming (laughs) this is just like removes that out i mean this is literally no different from evan gaddis walking up to the plate with headphones on right and someone's like okay this pitch is a fastball right here this pitch is a curveball right here (laughs) right like that's that is quite literally what is going on which Uh is absolutely heinous and maybe and you know maybe we should have made a bigger deal of the red sox aspect at the time as well um but i part of it feels really stunning just because of like how far the astros star has like fallen in the last like month or so it's just like blow after blow of oh hey look at this uh this incredibly morally corrupt organization oh they did something even worse somehow yeah you know well I definitely think that's part of it, that everybody hates the Astros and is now looking at them with a lot more scrutiny than they would have reason to look at the Red Sox in 2017. Um, 
none of this is surprising to me. Like I, I admire like all of the online investigators and sleuths and the journalists who have been writing about this. And I guess we should say that all of this, this hubbub started with uh, a piece in The Athletic from Ken Rosenthal, my fave, Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich, where they got some some quotes from sources that sort of confirmed that the Astros were stealing electronically, which had been previously speculated and written about by other people, but they just kind of like nailed it down. Um, I, I admire all of the people who are sleuthing online. John Boy, um, Rob Arthur wrote a piece for Baseball Prospectus looking at the literal waveforms, the sound that the trash can was making, and you can just watch the broadcast sound and see the waveform change as they're banging on the trash can, which is a funny and amazing way to look at this. But I guess, like, I'm trying not to do the resigned thing where you're just like, all right, none of this is surprising. Every team cheats, and they would all find a way to cheat like this if they could. And I think there are some rumors swirling about other teams that are doing this, like the Brewers, which brought Christian Yelich into the conversation and you Darvish. And it's been this whole whirlwind of people sharing their mind, uh, speaking their mind, which we love that baseball, we love when baseball players do that, but it's, it's been a little bit messy uh, as could have been anticipated. Um, But I think like my largest takeaway from all of this is that when you have a franchise that is staffed by a group of men who feel like they have no consequences, whether that's within their job or in larger life, this is the kind of behavior you're going to get. They've repeatedly transgressed as an organization. They've made questionable decisions morally from the time that this regime took over, whether that be just being like, no, we're going to fire all the scouts tomorrow, or we're just going to tank so hard and not spend any money at all and pocket all that money or whether that be something even worse like trading for Roberto Osuna and then the Brandon Tobman quotes which we talked about unfortunately had to talk about during MLB's playoffs this year it's like if you have an organization run by people who have just acted with impunity this whole, their entire life of course they're going to cheat and think that they can get away with it and guess what They are going to get away with it. Like I said at the beginning of this segment, the Red Sox cheated and got away with it. Other teams cheat and get away with it. I'm sure they will get fined. I'm sure they will get a slap on the wrist, but MLB is not going to go and take their World Series away, which I've seen some people suggesting. They're not going to get banned from the playoffs. There is no consequence here, and these are the type of people who, when they see that there's no consequences for themselves, they, they think opportunistically about that. I can't imagine there are going to be no consequences, though. But what what are like, the real I, consequences, though? I don't, I really, I don't know. I mean, there was the, I think it was maybe Jeff Passan who said that, you know, some whatever anonymous source said, you know, there would be like penalties like we've never seen in MLB before. And like, yeah, like who, like you said, they're not going to take away their World Series rings, but it, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, there's already talk about how, it's possible that Alex Cora was involved in this, and it's possible that Carlos Beltran was involved in this. And it wouldn't surprise me if there were officials within the organization who were penalized. I mean, I, I'm sure they will just, you know, push out a mid-level employee who can, like, fall on the sword for them. Um, I think 
the bigger thing that this does is it opens up a real conversation about, like you're saying, like, I don't think the fact that, you know, the rumors about other teams doing this, whether it's the Brewers or I think the Rangers were also mentioned as well. Um, I feel like rather than just, I don't know, shrugging and saying, well, this is widespread and every team is going to kind of do what they can to get an edge. This feels like it should hopefully be the start of a conversation about like, what the fuck is MLB going to do about this sort of thing? You know, because obviously the Astros have this, you know, like win at all costs mentality. We have, We've seen this in the in the plainest forms before, right? Just over the last couple of years and the abhorrent moves they made. But like, I don't think a slap on the wrist will do much to like placate the people who are angry about this sort of thing. Kevin Gaussman, um, who pitches for the Reds right now, um, had a tweet a couple of days ago where he said, this Astros thing is bad. Guys lost jobs, got sent down, missed service time because of how they were hit in Houston. Then he says, does anyone really think they only did this in 17? Hashtag get real, which shouts out Kevin Gaussman. I'm going to be using that hashtag way more from now on. But like, hashtag he's right. get real. Hashtag on my grind. Hashtag my haters can't stop me. I'm using that. Good luck, Kevin. He's, he's right that like this has real life implications beyond just like the Astros doing slightly better than they would have otherwise. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I totally know what you're saying. Part of me is shocked that it took this long for something like this to bubble up. Like, we've had these cameras for, like, our entire baseball watching lives, right? I can't believe that it would have taken this long for a team to do something like this. Because as we said, teams are, as I tried to express with my story, like, this is a pretty elementary way to do this. Like, they weren't trying to hide anything. They were doing it in a way that Pretty much everyone in the fucking stadium can hear. Because if you're the why, if yeah, you're the it. batter, you have to be able to hear it all. Yeah. So the, like the other teams can hear it. Like I think that's so I think it's so crazy that no team has called them out more publicly than this. I wonder why that is. Like, do you have an explanation for that? Like all of these players are sort of indicating like slyly on Twitter. That they're like, we knew this happened. We knew this was going on. We know a lot of teams are doing this. Is there some unwritten rule? Because if there is, it's stupid. That says that they can't call the Astros out for something that is as plain as this. If you can pick it up from watching the TV broadcast, why has nobody called them out for it before? Because all of the conclusive evidence that I've seen so far other than the the initial report in The Athletic and the sources that are cited there and the internal MLB sources, all of the other shit is like public information. I'm surprised that it's taken this long. And I'm surprised that it was confirmed by someone who used to be on the Astros. If you were a bla- baseball player and someone was cheating blatantly against you like this, don't you think you would just like file a complaint with the league? I Yes. Maybe. I I don't know. I mean, I think part of it may have been the idea that, like, if you have an inkling about this sort of thing, but you have no idea if anyone else knows about it, you know, like, like, maybe there's a, not a fear of retribution per se, but like, if you are someone who just like, on their own, like, speaks out against an organization, like, like you were saying, I'm stunned that a player who was formerly on the Astros in Mike Fires was like, willing to be quoted 
on this sort of thing because it seems like the kind of thing that like are the Astros ever going to employ Mike Fires again, right? Are they ever going to touch him in free agency? I I don't know. But like <laughs> there is a little bit of like a, everybody who leaves the Astros is like fuck the Astros going on. Yes, yeah, like, absolutely. Player-wise and management-wise, you know, you see different executives leaving the Astros going to other organizations and kind of taking what they learned, but not really like gushing about how things were really run in Houston. And then you look at Astro Ball, you kind of listen to some of the quotes from some of these players who have left, like the fact that Mike Fires would even go back to 2017 and go on the record about some of this stuff. And then even it even touches something like how, how Garrett Cole was basically like, fuck y'all, I'm out of here because you're not going to pay me money. Like, they are very, you can't deny that they are principled, but their principles are questionable. They are going to do things their way and they don't really care about who that bothers or who that offends or who is damaged by that. And I think this is another example of that. I, I do think like everybody is kind of showing their ass about this on Twitter and elsewhere. Like nobody, somehow this is the story where nobody has come out looking good. I don't like what what is MLB going to do to pull us out of this? Like you said, what what is their plan now? Because pitchers and catchers still have to relay the signs. You retweeted from the the account from Trevor Williams his sarcastic tweet saying, "Best way to combat sign stealing is to not give signs. It'll speed up the game. Everybody is guessing. Fans yeah. think it'll be a changeup. Catcher wants a heater. I want a slider. LMAO. Now what?" <laughs> Obviously, that's not the solution that we can live with. But like, what is the better option? Is there going to be some form of electronic communication between the pitcher and the catcher that the Astros are just going to find a way to hack? I mean, I don't know. Like a part of me, I think it's important to like draw the line and be like, I think stealing signs is okay on its face. If you figure out the other team's signs you're, I think you should be allowed and encouraged to relay that to your teammates, right? Mm-hmm. If you're on second base or something like that, you know? And it's only the the part when, like, people outside of the dugout, like, you know, outside of that 25-man roster or the coaching staff, whatever, like, when they get involved or electronics get involved or whatever it is, that, like, it starts to become morally dubious. But, like, a part of me is, like, it feels like it should be so easy to just, like, confine that communication, you know? And like, I understand why it's not, but like, I am stunned that the Astros did this just because it's so fucking stupid, you know, that like, of course they were going to get found out about this sort of thing. And yet it still took two years for, for people to figure it out. Right. So like something tells me it would be so easy to like, not let this happen. I, maybe I'm wrong. That that gets back to my point where they clearly felt like the consequences or the fallout from this was not going to, in their fucking little analytical minds, that they treat everything like it's some long math problem. They clearly felt like the cost-benefit analysis of this was in their favor. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done it in such crucial situations. The 2017 Astros team had like a really good shot all year of winning the World Series. So if they felt like this was going to put that in jeopardy or in the future, this was going to put their organizational integrity in jeopardy, they wouldn't have done it. But that that's that's my 
entire point about like, not that they don't think that there will be any consequences, but it's kind of like the PED thing where you're like, okay, maybe I'm going to get suspended for 40 games, but I will have already put up the great seasons with PEDs and I will have already signed that contract and I will have already made all that money and I'll come back half a season later and I'll just be back to my normal self. Like, I don't know a way for MLB to disincentivize something like this enough without just being like, we'll just suspend all of your players. Because like, I, I don't, is that the answer? Well, I don't know if that's the answer, but like you talk about MLB looking for ways to disincentivize this sort of thing. Like this is the chance. I don't know yes. what the penalties are going to be, but like if you want teams to not do this in the future, like you have to come down on the Astros like harder than just, you know, finding them a couple million dollars or something like this, that. This you is know? definitely, yeah, this is definitely the pivot point for this. They will set a precedent with whatever they do with this because the conversation is at such a fever pitch. But like, I'm sitting over here and I'm like, is everyone who was involved in this going to get punished? Because now it's starting to bleed into other organizations, namely the New York Mets, who hired Carlos Beltran, who was heavily involved in this while at a DH for the 2017 Houston Astros. He was part of devising the scheme. Yeah. Like that's already, (laughs) he's denying that, but that's already basically reported in the New York Post. This is a huge problem. And it's yeah. not just, it's, it can't be just the Astros. Because something that happens in all sports, in baseball specifically, is that you can only keep your secrets for so long because players move, coaches move, strength trainers move, GMs move. So like, if the Astros devised this plan, probably it or parts of it are within the knowledge base of every other organization in baseball. All 30 teams know something about what the Astros were doing. And many of those 30 teams have people who were involved in this plan, I would guess. Or people who knew about this plan and didn't stop it or didn't say anything about it. I just just imagine Alex Cora coming to, uh, you know, I guess it would have been like, Dave Dombrowski at the time, you know, after the 2017 season when he's hired by the Red Sox. And so Alex Cora is like, hey, Dave, I listen on the DL. I just came up with this great idea for us to steal signs. We're going to whack a trash can with a bat for off speed pitches in like in like the hallway behind the dugout. And Dave Dombrowski's like, what? What the fuck? Are you a fucking idiot? Like, what are you? What are you this talking is, about? Yeah. You know, like, so rudimentary. Like, like bringing it to another organization, and everyone's like, "This is an April Fool's joke, right?" You know, <laughs> like my favorite thing was like just pictures like, of the trash can going around on Twitter. No, yeah. like you look at one side. I gotta say, it looks like it's been getting hit with a bat. I'm like, you think they use the same trash can the whole fucking time? <laughs> it's not a principal piece of evidence. The trash can. We know what like, they did. You want to talk about a bubble? Like, dozens of people in the Astros organization were like, yes, cosine. This is an amazing idea. Analytics and trash cans, baby. This fucking free thought bullshit that the Astros employ, where they're just like, that, I mean, our shit doesn't stink. Like, that is a great (laughs) idea. Of course we should do that. They're all like fucking sniffing their own, like they're huffing their own fucking gasoline in that fucking organization. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that we even have to talk about this. Plant someone on the inside of the Astros organization and just let them exist for two or three years without reporting on anything. I, 
please, I want to know all the dumb ideas that they come up with. There's got to be more. There have to be so many more. If they did this, there are other things that they're doing too that are equally stupid. It's like, it's. I guarantee you the way they think about it, they're like, we're not above lo-fi and hi-fi. You know, we're using edutronic cameras. We're using all this fucking player tracking data. But also we can get down in the nitty gritty and just whack some trash cans. <laughs> and everyone, <laughs> like all the unbiased observers in the room are like, what are we doing here? We're whacking trash cans. We're just whacking <laughs> trash cans with the boys. <laughs> it's a new market inefficiency, baby. Whacking trash cans with the boys. Okay, can we move on? Please. <laughs> I feel like I need some time to compose myself. So let's take a quick break. And then uh, when we come back, time to restart the engine and get mad about Gabe Kapler. All right, Alex, from one organization that thinks they're invincible to another, let's talk about the former members of the 2017 Los Angeles Dodgers, the opponent of the 2017 Houston Astros who won the World Series. Um, They're reuniting in San Francisco. Farhan Zaidi, who is the president of baseball operations there, and Gabe Kapler, who just got hired as the new San Francisco Giants manager. They were together in Los Angeles and I think that our feelings on Gabe Kapler becoming the new manager of the San Francisco Giants are pretty obvious, uh, pretty well known. It's just a really puzzling decision, I think, because not only does Gabe Kapler have these allegations against him for covering up um, crimes committed by Dodgers minor league players while he was with the Dodgers, but like he also wasn't an effective manager with the Phillies and he was kind of hated by that fan base. He's like this irritant and it just seems like the kind of unforced error that only someone who had worked with this person in the past could make. And that link of them having spent time with the Dodgers, having, you know, come up in that same culture and Farhan Zaidi having this prior relationship, this pre-existing relationship and using that to hire him and bring him in and have uniformity within the organization, within the Giants organization, because obviously Zaidi has had a, a large and hefty hand in reshaping how the Giants think about things like analytics and player acquisition and, and whatnot. I think that through line of them coming up with the same team is not to overstate things, but like one of the biggest problems about baseball hiring, because you just get caught in these cycles of Guys hiring guys that they know, despite the fact that like there are so many reasons why they should not do that. And it takes away opportunities from people who deserve the job more, but also it gives opportunities for people who have proven that they don't deserve the job. And obviously, Zaidi is not an unbiased hiring manager in this situation because when Kapler allegedly covered up those crimes, the person that he was reporting it higher to when it died, was Farhan Zaidi. So, like, they're sort of, like, tied together in their responsibility and their culpability and what happened with the two minor league players with the Dodgers. And so, therefore, like, if Zaidi's here thinking, I'm the president of baseball operations, MLB has cleared Kapler of his responsibility in this incident, I don't see any problem with it. And they can kind of shell out the company line, which is, 
obviously we wish we would have handled things differently and we would handle things differently in the future, which is not really that constructive of a thought process, I don't think. I think your last point is a salient one because at the introductory press conference for Kapler, obviously Zaidi and Kapler were asked about the um, the incidents and both gave pretty um, boilerplate responses of saying, you know, we it was clearly like we didn't handle these things very well. Uh, you know, we want to we want to do whatever we can to um, support whoever in this situation. These very you know kind of um, vague hand waves at the at the issues at hand, and and saying you know we're going to try to do better in the future. But it's almost just kind of like a you almost just have to take them at their word on this sort of thing, you know? Like, these are two people who worked together in close capacity in the past, and when push came to shove, like, they made the decision to, like, protect their own, right? To, like, protect the name of the organization, to protect their own names. I mean, in in one of the incidents, right, there are multiple incidents here that were covered up. And, and like, the furthest that any discipline went with them was, like, a player got released, right? Like a player two got released from the organization and that's as far as it went. I, I don't know. It's kind of just like, who's to say that like you really learned anything from yeah. this, right? Like it's like the saying, you know, you're only sorry that you got caught, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe Gabe Kapler or Farhan Zaidi are really sorry that this sort of thing happened. Like, I don't, I don't think they're like, immoral human beings incapable of like human emotion or anything like that. Like I'm sure that they both would have preferred these things to like go down differently, but you kind of just have to like put your trust in these people who have already betrayed you. And, and that can be a really hard thing for people to stomach. That's like as fans of a team who you want to be able to like root for in good conscience, like, that's just that can be a difficult thing to do. Yeah, and, and you know there was a lot of a lot of problematic things that happened within that press conference. A lot of things where it is innate in hiring Kapler that you would have had to discuss these things, which is what makes it so frustrating that they hired him in the first place. And I think not the least of which frustrating things that happened was that Gabe Kapler said that he spoke to his mom a lot over the past month, quote for obvious reasons. He regrets that he did not talk to her about what to do during Dodgers incidents. And Meg Raleigh quote tweeted that and said, there just has to come a time in one's life where the behavior one exhibits towards women stops being the responsibility of women to guide. And like, if that's what you're saying now in the press conference for your new job, since you just got fired from your, your last golden opportunity, like a month earlier, I'm sorry, but it's hard for me to believe that you've really reformed your way of thinking on what happened. If like that is your your guiding light is not just like I fucked up here. It's like I needed my mom to tell me that I fucked up here. I don't I don't know, man. And I'm like not to dwell too much on that singular comment, but I can't help but feel like the organizations in baseball that seem to be the most successful right now are all incredibly toxic. And maybe that's just all organizations in baseball are toxic. But if you look at the Astros and the Dodgers as two sides of the same coin, they have had huge success over the last 10 years in executing their plan for becoming replenishable 
and becoming teams with replenishable, incredible players and having success on the field. But then you look off the field and there's just this litany of terrible things that have gone on and that they've allowed to go on. The Astro sign stealing thing is so far down on the list of what they've done wrong. I mean, I listed a few things that they've done. And then the Dodgers, like this Gabe Kapler incident. And then they obviously had like shady international practices um, in terms of like their player acquisition and things like that. (laughs) This This is the team who like literally kept a spreadsheet of all the crimes that they did and the people implicated in them. <laughs> like, like, just... It's so hard to even boilerplate remember... Boilerplate evil genius shit. Yeah, it's so hard to even remember what has happened because, like, it's just this deluge of things that teams are doing that they are, like, clearly still getting away with, man. Like, they are still good. They still have all these good players and... They still have these huge fan bases in these huge markets. And like, I I guess that's the through line of this episode. Like, I guess that is just what's on my mind throughout this episode. But like, there are literally no consequences for these dudes. Yeah. And I, I think what is equally frustrating is like, if you strip Gabe Kapler of like all the off field stuff, which like you obviously can't do when evaluating him. Like if you evaluate him just as like the manager of a baseball team, he was also objectively bad. So what the fuck is he doing? <laughs> like, how are you looking at both sides of that coin and being like, ah, yes, we, he's the person we want to helm our like the, the rebuild of our team. You know, like there are dozens of really capable managerial candidates out there. And like, th- this is the guy you landed on. The bad manager with a ton of baggage. Ah, perfect. I know. <laughs> and and the genesis of this podcast almost is that like baseball is a microcosm for the larger world. And like what is more of a microcosm for how the larger world is playing out than just dudes failing upward? This is a great managerial job. The San Francisco Giants, who won three World Series last decade, who sell out every game in one of the largest sports markets in the United States who have had huge success in player development and look like they are going to continue having that huge success. The managerial job for that team is a huge opportunity. And to see it go to someone who just had all these fuck-ups is just like, it's just demoralizing. Like, it really is. On top of all the... um awful stuff that Gabe Kapler has done off the field and with the Dodgers and on the field with the Phillies. He also, I don't know if you've heard about this. Have you heard about the way that he eats ice cream? No, I have not. Oh, I I don't know if you want to because it has given me nightmares. It sounds like you're going to tell me anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to. Um, This is from the Philadelphia Inquirer a few days ago. Love that paper. A former player of his when he was managing in the minor leagues, uh, John Still, was quoted in the piece saying uh, he was so into health. He's addicted to ice cream. So he would sit there and lick ice cream, but have a cup and spit it into it. He would lick it just for the taste, but didn't want to eat it. I told him, dude, that's like Unabomber type stuff. Yeah. (laughs) That's the thing he did. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how can... (laughs) Everything else aside, 
how can you look at this, know this about this man, and be like, oh yeah, but he's definitely not a psychopath. <laughs> that is what? actually that is legitimately like Hannibal Lecter behavior out of him. Hundred <laughs> percent. Oh my god. Um that's super weird. I'm sorry if I ruined your day. You didn't ruin my day. I I like to be working with a full deck, you know? I like to know what we're dealing with. <laughs> um, okay, let's close on uh, just a couple other lingering thoughts heading into the Siberia that is this offseason that we're about to hit. So we started out by playing a little game of Scott Boris quotes. Let's close out by talking a little free agency, the thing that Scott Boris will likely have a large, large hand in this offseason. And it's actually not even free agency that I want to discuss with you. It's more players that are uh, already on teams, uh, namely Chris Bryant, Mookie Betts, and uh, Francisco Lindor. So Jeff Hassan, he did his GM survey or his chat with like 20 GMs or whatever uh, at the end of August. And he asked him a bunch of questions, one of which was, um, who are some players that you think might get moved this offseason? Or like, who are some names that would surprise people if they got moved. Um, and three of them were Mookie Best, Francisco Lindor, and Chris Bryant. And I think we maybe hit on this a little bit when it became a story at the time. Um, but I want to use this as an opportunity to kind of dive deeper on it. Uh, effectively, Wild did the same thing this past week. So we're kind of cribbing that segment a little bit. But I want to ask you, through <laughs> sort of through the lens of like Chris Bryant's grievance with the MLB that's going on right now, if these three guys get traded, or if even one of them gets traded, or two of them gets traded, that feels bigger. That feels like an escalation on what's been going on the last few off-seasons. Like, I, I know it would not be the first young star to ever get moved. I know it wouldn't be the first former MVP to get moved, or whatever. But all three of these teams, the Red Sox, the Cubs, and the Indians are good teams. They missed the playoffs last year, all three of them. And so there's like a little bit of unsettled nature in the way that they're approaching this offseason. But two of the three of them have won World Series rings. And one of them has made it to the World Series. And they've all been in the playoffs plenty of times in the last few years. So they've all been raking in that extra money that you get for making the playoffs. Part of me just feels like this would be kind of the the beginning chapter to the end segment of the book of teams are not trying to be competitive anymore in free agency or in team building in any way, shape or form, because these are three of the top 10 or 12 or whatever best players in baseball. They're all still on their first contracts. And I know that Betts is going to make whatever $400 million. I hope he makes that and more, but it just doesn't make any sense to me how you could say that you're trying to be competitive and not retain the services of these three guys to trade it to somewhere who's willing to trade them to someone who's willing to spend more money to keep them. Like this feels like the sort of escalation where you're like, there's no going back from this. If the Red Sox trade Mookie bets, you can never tell me that teams are trying to be competitive ever again, because I, I just don't get it. It's, it's insane to me that these three guys who are literally franchise cornerstone guys might end up on different teams in this offseason. And I know that they probably won't, but they could. They are actually in trade talks. Yeah, if I was a fan of any of these three teams, I would be like 
just perpetually pulling my hair out yes. over all of this stuff, right? I'd be I mean, belligerent. I mean, Jed Hoyer, who's the GM of the Cubs, came out and said, you know, it's quite possible that um, that any one of Chris Bryant or Wilson Contreras or Javier Baez or Kyle Schwarber, you know, basically any any part of their young core could get traded this offseason. And on the one hand, you're like, okay, you're retooling for the next year. You're willing to listen to offers on anyone. Fine. And I understand that stars get traded. That happens. That's just a a fact of sports. But like to be it, it is stunning to me, especially in the context of the Cubs who like two years ago, we were talking about in hushed tones about like dynasty, right? Like all time dynasty shit. And now here they are being like, yeah, we might trade the best player out of that group. And I mean, to their credit, they're, I mean, they're talking about extending bias. They're talking about contract extensions as well. So like you obviously like when it comes to the off season, you talk out of both sides of your mouth on this stuff because like you're not exactly trying to tip your hand on what's going on. But like, this feels like the, if one of these stars gets traded, it is both the least actionable, but also the most obvious sign that teams aren't willing to compete, right? Like you can't, you can't get the Red Sox in trouble for trading Mookie bets, but you can sure as hell be like, oh, you're just saying the quiet part out loud now, right? You just clearly are not interested in competing. You're more interested in making money. Like, Everything else that teams do this offseason could like come back to bite them in the ass from the union as they, you know, prepare their grievance or just prepare to go on a strike in a couple of years. But like, this is the stuff that makes it very clear to fans like where teams' interests lie. And that sucks. It yeah. sucks. It really does. I feel like I'm in a marriage where I've acknowledged that my partner is not interested in being in the marriage anymore. But I haven't said it yet, or or we haven't discussed it yet. The baseball teams being the partner that's not interested in being in this marriage anymore. Bobby, they are Bobby, shitting I promise on fans. you if that if that day ever comes, I promise you and I will sit down and we'll have that conversation <laughs> together. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Maybe this is because I just saw Marriage Story last weekend, <laughs> the Noah Bombach movie. But it, it's literally like, how far can MLB teams go dumping on their fans? Before the fans are going to be like, we're done here. Because like, if you trade Chris Bryant, you are just reaping what you sowed. You fucked him. You manipulated his service time to the point that he, to the point that he filed a grievance against you, which he should win, by the way, but will probably not win because the labor, the labor relationship right now is so swung towards the balance of the owners. And now because you don't have an extra year of team control or because you don't want to sign him after his team control is up or you think you need to shake things up because he's going to become expensive. Now you want to get rid of him? Like you created this problem for yourself and now you're quote unquote fixing it. But in reality, what you're doing is really just not spending the money. You're the third richest team in baseball and you don't want to spend the money to keep your best or second best player. I don't know, man. We're 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 in a toxic relationship with the teams right now. <laughs> my my 
proposal or my prediction for fandom in like 10 or 15 years. You know, baseball fandom right now is very regional. You, you're ride or die for your team. But <laughs> what I'm hoping happens is that that just dissipates within the next decade or so. And that like fantasy baseball merges with real baseball. And like you just personally have a roster of players who you root for, you know, like no matter where they go, like I'm not loyal to any one team. Clearly they're not loyal to me. I don't care. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to, oh, who are you a fan of? Oh, I'm a fan of Matt Chapman. Oh, I'm a, I'm a fan of Marcus Simeon, right? Like I know Chapman was on the A's six years ago and now he's on the Yankees. But, uh, Damn, but yeah, how could you put yeah. that thought in the world? <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, like, uh, I feel like that's what it's going to boil down to. Uh, that feels like what we are barreling towards. And obviously that's a very like hyperbolic way of thinking about it, but it is kind of like if teams continue to alienate their fans like this, like what choice do you have? Right? Yeah. Like, we're just going to have to create, like, a power ranking of the guys that we like, and then we're gonna just going to have to revert to that power ranking when we're not sh- sure who to root for uh, during a Rangers-Rays game in, like, yeah. June. Yeah. And we're like, I'm well, like, nah, you know, the no Rangers... Yeah. <laughs> G-Man Choi, like, I don't I really do know. I love G-Man Choi. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> I don't want that, though. You know? I know. Yeah. That is clearly, like... <laughs> Maybe not clearly, but that is like the moral way to look at this. If you are trying to be anti-capitalist and you are trying (laughs) to be like as you're trying to be the most conscious consumer of baseball that you can possibly be, that is the best way to do it. You just root for the individual guys and you don't blindly trust that your organization, which is probably toxic as we spent the first 45 minutes of this podcast talking about, is going to do the right thing for you as a fan, as a consumer. But like, I think if that happens, then just baseball is just done. Because it is so regional. It is based so much on where you live, where you can go see the games, who you grew up seeing merchandise for, all that stuff. Like, if we get to the point where every fan is just like, I hate all of these organizations, they're just not going to watch. Yeah, especially especially as (laughs) this is, I love this thought experiment because like at the same time, Major League Baseball is making it like harder and harder to watch their sport, right? Like you might be blacked out from the team right around you or you're blacked out from watching any other team across the country, right? Like if if I'm just forced to watch like 162 Mets or Yankees games a year and they've traded away the players that I like, then like, but like what? It's like Stockholm Syndrome, you know? Like, I'm just going to keep showing up to games and buying tickets, even though they've completely, like, disowned me as a fan. I mean, that's, maybe that's the reality that we're in right now, right? It's just like, where do you go next, right? Do you bring the fan back in or you just say, fuck them and make it a corporate enterprise once and for all? Teams are not doing right by their fans anymore. Like, that that's what I'm trying to articulate, I think, is that like, it is more the exception when teams are doing right by their fans. Like the Mets extending Jacob deGrom, that did right by the Mets fan base. I have to say that. Like that was what everyone wanted and everyone wanted Pete to come up and spend the whole season there. That did right by the Mets fans base. Obviously, there are a litany of things that I can say that the Wilpons are doing that is not doing right by the Mets fan base, but those things feel so good because we've been beaten down so far. 
We're like the dog that is supposed to sleep outside that you actually let sleep inside one night when it's raining too hard. You know, like that is the Jacob deGrom contract. <laughs> you've got some, you've got some Boras tier analogies going on in this episode right now. I don't, I don't know what's gotten into me, but I'm just, I'm, I'm fired up, you know, like, and, and it's, it's pretty clear that like these three teams, the Indians, especially like we have railed on them for the last two or three years for just slowly taking apart their core of amazing baseball players and screwing their fans to save some money. But um, these three teams are not going to do right by their fan base. It's just not going to happen. And if it is, I will be happy to be proved wrong. If I could, maybe I'd give you Typical tipping pitches form. We just did a whole hour-long podcast without really talking about news. I mean, I guess you could say the Astro Science Ceiling stuff was news. But um, a few things have happened since then. The awards were given out. Shout out to my my love, Jake, who won his second straight Cy Young Award. Shout out to the MVP voters doing the right thing and giving it to Mike Trout. You love to see a conversation change over the course of your baseball fandom. <laughs> you literally do. Um, and I guess shout out to uh, the Pirates hiring... Ben Sherrington? That's cool, yeah. I guess. Ben Sherrington, good at building homegrown teams. Maybe the Pirates will get to keep their stars now. Uh, good luck with that, Pirates fans. I hope that's the case. Honestly, shout out to Marcus Simeon, MVP yeah. finalist. But I just want him to know, because he listens to this podcast, obviously. Marcus Simeon, you're the MVP of my heart. Hell yeah. And that, that is all that matters. You're the tipping pitches MVP. Jacob DeGrom is the MVP of my heart. Yeah. Okay, you know, Pete finished like eighth or tenth or something like that. That's pretty good. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. But who voted for him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we could dedicate an entire episode to just like culling through the who voted for who? awards ballots, you know? Like, why did this player come 25th? I don't know, but someone gave him a vote. Yeah. Who's in the pocket of big Pete Alonzo? <laughs> Who's doling out that vote? Um, anyway, thank you as always for listening. Um, if you're feeling so compelled, if you're feeling as worked up as we were in this episode, maybe go take that energy right to the uh, Apple Podcast app and leave a five star rating. <laughs> uh, love to chill at the end of a podcast. Anyway, actually, thank you, so, thank you all so much for listening. We appreciate it. We'll be back next week. Bye.